Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Premier Phase Football Podcast, powered by Pro Football Network. Joining me today on this ride is a fan- fantasy co-host here at Pro Football Network. That is Jason Katz. You can find him over on Twitter at Jason Katz13. You can find myself over there, Tommy Garrett, at Tommy Garrett PFN. We're kind of running down a couple of the, the recent news that we've seen take place. We actually had a little bit of football on TV for a first time in a long time, like I'm not counting the USFL. I'm just counting what I saw take place up there in Canton, Ohio for the Hall of Fame game. We'll break that down, kind of go over some of the recent injuries and news, potential standouts, how we are personally reacting. And we're also going to kind of dive into a little bit just overall draft philosophy. Let's kind of sit back and just like have a discussion about what we're seeing in these early rounds, kind of how we're attacking some of these drafts right now. Like especially like whether you want to make some risky decisions early on and how could that pay off on later rounds. But before we do that, Jason, how are you doing today, my man? I am doing really well. Just got home last night from a little short two-day bachelor party for one of my friends, so that was fun. Uh, no, no crazy partying here. I, I was am, gonna say, do we have like a, a, a hangover like story to talk about here or anything? Like no facial oh, we, tattoos, stolen it, tigers. I, I missed the first night because I just couldn't get there on Thursday night. Apparently, the uh, the groom to be got 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 a little a little over intoxicated, and there was there was some uh, some actions he had to take in the bathroom but uh but other than that it was it was a lot of fun when i was there and there was no drinking for me because i don't i don't really drink sorry but uh no 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 judgment on anybody uh a lot of fun and um and now i'm back and here to talk football i will guarantee you you felt better the next morning than any of the rest of them and that's a that's a testament to you on that move and honestly you're probably smarter than the rest of us my liver is going what's going probably going to be the death of me later on uh, down the road Let's kick things off, though, and start this podcast off. Kind of talk about just some of the recent fantasy news. Um, I think the first thing we'll probably want to touch on here is the appeal of the Deshaun Watson suspension. Uh, The NFL has uh, formally appealed that they are wanting to essentially challenge the six-game suspension that was handed down by uh, Judge uh, Sue Robinson. So what are you leaning at right now in terms of what could be the likely timeline or result of this whole Deshaun Watson appeal? And how should fans and managers kind of be dealing with the situation right now? After seeming like, look, he might be back, but now he might be gone again. So how should they kind of be reading between the lines on what's going on right now, Cats? Yeah, it's a it's a tricky situation for a fantasy That's manager putting to navigate. Putting it mildly. <laughs> yeah. The, the one thing that we do know is that as per the CBA, this needs to be a, an expedited decision. So we're going yep. to know what the ruling is from Roger Goodell's appointed um, appeals judge, whatever you want to call him. We're going to get that decision likely within the next two weeks. It could be as soon as the end of this week. Uh, 
Deshaun Watson's brief, I believe, was due past uh, this past Friday, and that's it. There, there's no argument. There's no appearance in any sort of court. They just uh, the the arbitrator or the, the decider he reads the briefs and renders a decision. Now the issue is what happens after that. Mm-hmm. If this if he upholds what Judge Sue Robinson ruled, then we're probably done. But if he if he increases the suspension. Honestly, I think I think at all, it, it, even if it's by uh, four games, I think we're probably headed to federal court, and then we might be in a situation similar to what we saw five years ago with Ezekiel Elliott, where he was suspended for the first six games of the 2017 season, um, appealed it, uh, lost, filed for a temporary restraining order in federal court, and it was granted, and then he ended up playing yeah. the first nine weeks, and, and then ended up almost being like a deferred penalty. Yeah, and eventually had to sit out beginning in week, in week 10. And, and that's the worst-case scenario for this year mm-hmm. from a fantasy perspective. We don't want to see Watson get suspended and then not know when he's going to serve the games. We either want to know when he's out or, or if he's playing it and, and just have a resolution. So we're not necessarily going to have clarity on that until we know what happens as a result of the appeal. So that's something we kind of just got to, got to wait and see. If you're drafting within the next week or two, this is just it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a guessing game. You're kind of in the same limbo status that we've been in for the past several months. Um, hopefully, your drafts are more toward the back end of August, at which point we will have more clarity. But until then, it's kind of a wait and see game. Yeah, I mean, no matter what, Deshaun Watson's gonna miss games this year. Uh, that's that's the inevitable part of this. Whether it's gonna be the six games, whether it's more, because I don't see this appeal process even to go to federal court taking over the entire 2022 season. Like we're gonna have an answer at some point. It's just a matter of when this whole suspension takes place and how much that could impact a fantasy manager. If he plays, look, Deshaun Watson, when he's on the field, he's going to be a top six quarterback once he's gets acclimated to the system and kind of gets a couple games under his under his uh, under his belt because there will be some rust going out there. We haven't seen this guy on the field since 2020. It is what it is. When he's out there, like I said, he'll be top five. You're not drafting like that though. In a draft, like he's going to be anywhere between like the QB 12 to QB 18. Way you want to go, like, what you think his outcome is going to be for the season. It's someone could get an incredible value, but you're going to need to stack him with someone else to kind of get you through those games where you don't have Deshaun Watson. So you're going to be doubly investing in a position, which you normally don't want to do, especially in like a one QB league. We're only trying to take one quarterback. So we'll see what happens with Deshaun Watson kind of moving forward and how that impacts the rest of the Cleveland Browns offense. Um, another injury. We kind of had our first uh, big injury of the off of this, uh, this uh, training camp uh, timeline. Tim Patrick a guy who was I have loved watching play football. Well, he was my stock answer for who was one of the most underrated players right now that could break out. Tim Patrick was my answer. Torn his ACL, though, unfortunately, during camp. Um, so how do you think we should – how high should we be moving up uh, KJ Hamill or even Jerry Judy right now? Because KJ, obviously, coming back from his own ACL injury that he sustained. So we'll have to see what kind of timelines look like for him. But really, if anything – this makes it much easier for Jerry Judy to kind of be that number two behind Cortland Sutton. Who, and that's at least my opinion. I am on the Cortland Sutton over Jerry Judy train, at least out of camp right now. Um, but how high should we be moving up KJ Hamler and Jerry Judy following the Tim Patrick injury? For you? My initial knee jerk reaction was I put Hamler. Other than just being Patrick. sad? Yeah, other than being sad, because you and I have talked about Patrick a yeah. ton over the past couple of months, and we really liked him. He's one of our favorite, like later round wide receiver four mm-hmm. or five type guys to put on the back of our roster with upside both standalone and in the event of an injury to one of the guys ahead of him. Unfortunately, he was the one who got hurt, which now boosts Hamler up. My knee-jerk reaction was to put Hamler where Patrick was. I, I, I re- rethought that over the 
coming days. And I ended mm -hmm. up moving Hamler down a little bit. He's now sitting uh, as we speak at wide receiver 65 for me, which is which means he is someone that's going to be drafted in, in your, your typical standards yeah. uh, 12 team league, but more toward uh, the last couple of rounds. Like he'll be the last wide receiver you put on your on your bench if you choose to draft him. Uh, be, how you feel about him, uh, it really depends on what you think his role will be. Will he be mm -hmm. that primary outside guy? Does this move Jerry Judy into the slot? And that, that, that brings us to Judy, which is – it's very tough for me because I, I'm ne I've never been a big fan of Judy as a talent. I kind of always thought he was he was just okay. He was an okay receiver, you know, okay to good, not anywhere near this this elite-type talent that, that uh, someone made him out to be. And I have him and Sutton ranked 30 slots apart currently, and that does feel like it's too really? wide, especially considering there are people who have Judy right ahead of Sutton. I'm, I'm not going to put Judy ahead of Sutton, but the tricky part for me is when I look at the guys ahead of Judy, I don't know how to get him any higher because they're all those – it's that group of wide receivers, those sophomore wide receivers who all finished the year strong last year and, and, and are poised to have that – take that next step forward. They're all good bets. So do I take them or do, or, or do I put Judy ahead of them? Do I put Judy ahead of some of them? It's, it's, he's lumped in with like 10 to 12 receivers who like, I kind of think you can put in any order you want and it would be okay. They're all part of that same individual tier, which at that point, instead of just targeting an individual player, just get the best value out of that tier. It's kind of what you're suggesting. And the problem for me, though, is that typically somebody else likes Judy more than me. He's mm -hmm. he's kind of been ranked typically, you see him like the high 20s. And when I have him down to 33, even though those guys ranked about 22 to 33 in my rankings are kind of interchangeable, it, yeah. it's kind of just, I will take the cheapest one or the cheapest ones. That's typically not Judy for me. Yeah, I think more than likely someone is probably going to like Jerry Judy more than I do. Um, that's kind of been the case for out this whole offseason. I've got him right now as my wide receiver 30. And then for me, I have KJ Hamler at wide receiver 71. So I'm kind of with you. Like I moved up KJ Hamler a little bit. Um, I've got him right there, like alongside like Rondell Moore, um, Isaiah McKenzie, uh, Van Jefferson's kind of in that same kind of range with him. I think there's upside, but I'm going to be a little bit cautious right now just because of him coming off of the ACL. Um, and then for, in terms of court and sudden, I have him inside my top 12 at the position. Like, this should come as no surprise to anyone. When we have our bold predictions article coming out here pretty soon, uh, you're going to find that I have uh, court and sudden pretty high on that list. I, I think he's got top five upside this year. Um, I'm all in on him. Uh, another guy people have been all in on is uh, Irv Smith Jr. We the uh, the tight end for... Uh, the Minnesota Vikings. He's kind of a guy we thought could break out last year. Unfortunately, had that injury and missed the entire season. Had thumb surgery, but he is expected to be back by week one. Not entirely concerned there. Another one to kind of keep an eye on is Matthew Stafford. He's dealing with some elbow concerns right now, which is raising some red flags and is raising some eyebrows right now just because it's how important he is to that offense. And we saw what happened with Cooper Cup last year and him finally getting together. They then go out and bring in Allen Robinson to kind of be that that number two on this offense, it really could be one of the most lethal one-two punches in the NFL on the perimeter. Uh, he has been throwing. McVay saying, look, he is, he's looking okay. It seems more just managing his reps right now as they kind of get going. Are you overly concerned about Matthew Stafford right now yourself, or is it kind of still kind of sitting in that low-end QB1 range? Should be just fine, and this offense will pretty much be what we expect it to be. I mean, I, you're not going to get me to drop cup outside of, like, my top no. five or anything like that. No, he's number the, one. I, I could I – could, See if somebody wanted to push Jefferson ahead of Cup due, due to the potential concerns with Stafford. Because I do think that if Stafford were to, were to go down for whatever reason, Cup yeah. with John Wolford is not even a top 12 receiver. I mean, he, he needs Matt he, he needs Matt Stafford. I, I truly believe that. As much as I love Cup, that that's what 
elevated cup from this mid wide receiver two into this elite wide receiver one greatest wide receiver season of all of all time. And that's also a testament to how strong the top of the wide receiver class is. Absolutely. I mean, this this year especially, those top guys are, like, are really, really strong. Not only safe bets, but they're the perfect type of player because they they have high floors and they all have overall wide receiver one ceiling. Uh, but So I, I still, still think Cup is, is right up there. He's still the wide receiver one for me. And given that Stafford was, is already throwing and McVay said he's sleeping better, that, that, that Stafford threw, I, I do think that Stafford will manage the pain. He's always been a guy that plays through some injuries, and he will do what needs to be done. They'll, they'll shoot him up whatever they got to shoot him up with his arm, quarter zone shots, whatever it is, and they'll get him ready to go. Yeah, I think he'll be just fine. I'm not overly worried about this offense. I think he'll be just okay. Um, little extra news here. We saw where Kareem Hunt requested a trade from the Cleveland Browns. That doesn't seem like it's going to where uh, anytime soon. Does it so far? Uh, no, uh, he requested a trade, and the Browns promptly said, uh, no, we are not trading you. And then Kareem Hunt uh, went right back to practice and participated. So yeah. this is uh, uh, this, this seems like a big big old nothing burger to me. But to me, this is a non-story. Don't overreact if you're coming up in drafts, and don't think all of a sudden Nick Chubb is going to be a, a top-five running back because Kareem Hunt's gone. They're still going to be sharing this backfield together. Um, I think, honestly, at this point, we kind of want to talk about an actual NFL game we saw take place. The Hall of Fame game happened, and honestly... It was entertaining, and that's all, at this point all I could ever ask for. The Las Vegas Raiders do knock off the Jacksonville Jaguars 27-11. to The talking point was not the score. It was nothing. What has nothing to do with that. It was what the hell was going on in the Las Vegas Raiders backfield. I I need someone to understand this. because I, I put this tweet out. I actually remember sending this to you, and we, we said, like, yeah, we both had the exact same thought. Like, watching Josh Jacobs play and start – on a wet field in a meaningless Hall of Fame game told me everything I need to know about how this Las Vegas Raiders team views this backfield. When you have him out there and you have Kim and Kenyon Drake out there in a meaningless game where they should have never seen the field, not only were they just seeing the field, they saw decent volume. Um, we look at Kenyon Drake, five different carries for himself. Josh Jacobs had five carries. He also had a couple targets during the game too. Uh, for me, that was just way more use than any of us expected out of this backfield. What were your takeaways from this? Like, I know for me, I was very surprised. I wasn't surprised to see Zamir White play well, um, but this is just not a move I saw coming out. And now all of a sudden the concern is, hey, look, Josh Jacobs, you decline the fifth-year option. All of a sudden you bring in Josh McDaniels, who kind of can bring over that New England mindset of where running backs are kind of a revolving door. All of a sudden, Josh Jacobs is no longer the safe bet that fans managers have been able to rely on for the past three years. Initially, my reaction was, wow, Jacobs is playing in this game. Clearly, the Raiders don't care about him. But then I realized all four of their top, like their top four running backs, they all played in this game. They did. So I, I, I don't know if I want to overreact and, and make jump to any conclusions after one. Well, this game. is overreaction season. This is what we're supposed to do. Like we are supposed to overreact to every single thing that happens. So I guess I need to overreact and just say, avoid Josh Jacobs everywhere. He's going to be a mega bust. They don't care. Thank or, you. or, or. <laughs> They don't care about Josh Jacobs. He's going to get 600 carries because they're going to run him into the ground, and it doesn't matter. So you, you could take it e- either way. I think this is a situation and those are where two I vastly hope, different outcomes. I hope you're not drafting this week because I would very yeah. much like to see if Josh Jacobs plays in a second preseason game because he surely doesn't need to. He doesn't need to play in any preseason games. No starter should ever play in the preseason except maybe rookies. That's it. So for Josh Jacobs entering his fourth NFL season to be out there, that is – Strange to say the least, uh, but again, we still have about a month till, till we're drafting, or maybe like three, four weeks. So 
hopefully we, we hopefully you out you out there you all have time to sit back digest this and see how the next couple weeks play out yeah because outside of that honestly nothing else really took place during this game despite the score oh no 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 there was a big thing that took place this game my guy kyle Sloter getting into the action you said the only football we had was some usfl and there's your hey, USFL and I was a Breakers fan. i was cool with this yeah <laughs> Yeah, Kyle Slaughter actually came in and actually played fairly decently, 127 yards on 13-25 with one touchdown, almost an 80 uh, rating, looked like a backup quarterback in the NFL. I'm cool I with hope, that. I want him to win that job. I mean, I think he's better than Jake Luton, so good enough for me. If he wins the backup job, I'll be happy. I don't think he can beat out C.J. Beathard, though, but maybe he can be the third stringer. I will settle for that. Keep Kyle Slaughter in the NFL. I'm with you, but I got to figure out what the hell my uh, New Orleans Breakers are going to do at that point without Kyle Soder anymore. Uh, we're going to take a look. I just real quick on head on a couple uh, camp standouts. I just want to hit on these names. Obviously, you guys are all seeing what's going on with Drake London down there in Atlanta, looking like he was the number one wide receiver of this class. Green Bay, Romeo Dobbs has been the standout up there so far. Honestly, right now he looks like the wide receiver. Everyone was wishing Christian Watson would have been so far, but at the same time, is that going to be a reliable role? What do you think, Katz? My caution would be, uh, I'm not saying that Romeo Dobbs can't end up being like this year's version of the wide receiver version of Elijah Mitchell where he comes out there and, hey, the guy who was drafted later ends up being the better asset. But yeah. we have seen over the past, better part of the past decade, glowing camp reports about Jeff Janis, Jared Abraderis, uh, Jamon Moore. Uh, we see, we've seen them talk up MVS, I mean, we, we've seen all these Packers guys get talked Jake Camaro. Jake Kumaro, yes, that's another one. Uh, that was like the just, final straw that broke the camel's back for Aaron Rodgers when they traded him away right after he made those comments. He, he didn't like that. He didn't like that at all. <laughs> but the reality is, most likely, this is this is camp noise, but if you're in, sitting there in the last round of your draft, you got to put one more wide receiver on your bench, you're in a little bit of a deeper league, maybe Romeo Dobbs. I, I mean, there's worse things to do than take a shot on maybe having Aaron Rodgers wide receiver too. Yeah, I mean, is it more than likely camp noise? Yeah, maybe, but I think it's it's a bit of a different situation because there isn't the already secure wide receiver room. Like, we're looking at Allen Robinson as the number one, and we're looking at potentially the number two target Alan for Lazar. one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. You know, so that's why all of a sudden we're like, this probably matters a little bit. We'll figure it out. I mean, watch this end up being Sammy Watkins and Randall Cobb. Like, who the hell knows at this point? But it's worth keeping a nay on. And honestly, it's more of a cautionary tale on Christian Watson. Uh, the other name I'm just going to bring up real quick, Brandon Ayuk. He is, outside of Trey Lance, he is the standout of 49ers camp. And quite frankly, I'm starting to wonder, at value, Brandon Ayuk might be the best pick off the of San Francisco 49ers offense. It's looking I that see. way. We saw him play well. I'm having a hard time moving him up any higher in my rankings. I've got... I've got um, I've got as my, what is a wide receiver 37, right behind Kadarius Toney, uh, Devonta Smith, Amon Ross St. Brown, and Amari Cooper. I have a hard time bumping him ahead of those guys, but I don't think he finishes as a wide receiver 37. I think he likely finishes ahead of that. Like I said, I think he's probably going to, there's a very good chance he ends up being a better value at his price than Debo Samuel, who's going to likely cost you a first round pick. I'm with you on that. The, the 49ers have a lot of fantasy-relevant options, and for an offense that's going to not throw the ball very often and ha now has a rushing quarterback, it it feels like 
I'm not going to go here and say Debo's going to be a bust. I don't think he will be. No, God, no. No, no, no. no not at all. Debo's going to be great. And there's a reason he's valued as a low wide receiver one, even though he finished yeah. top three last year. It's because that's kind of baked in. And I do think he will likely be at a low wide receiver one, high wide receiver two. But with Debo, you're probably getting par value. With Ayuk, you could draft him as a low wide receiver three, high wide receiver four, and get a, even if you get a low wide receiver two, I mean, that's an incredible return on investment. I'm with you. I am warming up to Brandon Ayuk as the, as the weeks go on. Yeah, give me the post-hype sleeper and Brandon Ayuk, guys that people aren't really wanting because he started the year off in Kyle Shanahan's doghouse. He's not in there this year. I am, I'm in on Brandon Ayuk in those uh, middle rounds. I think that's kind of a nice little segue to kind of talk about the overall main topic of this podcast. It's kind of like just overall draft strategy. Some of the things we're kind of looking at, the trends we're seeing, how we're kind of shaping out our teams. We've spent the last, what, two months talking about individual rankings and stats. I think everyone's heard enough of that for a little bit of time right now. Let's just kind of dive into how we're actually attacking our drafts, and then we can throw some names into the hat right here, kind of talk about who we're looking on and some of these ideas. So I think let's let's kind of start with this, with the first round. How do you view the landscape of the first round overall? Like, what are you kind of looking at, and what, what are some of the trends you're seeing and tendencies you're kind of implementing into your own draft strategy right now? One of my favorite things about like preparing for a fantasy football season is like the the internal progression that I have of starting to do mocks in like June or July because you know we have to and having really no clue what I'm doing and then as I do more and more as we get into August everything kind of comes it, it it becomes clear oh it must be nice the focus <laughs> and you start to get an idea okay here's here's where I need to be to get this guy. Here's who goes here and whatnot. And here's what I've gathered from doing several mocks that, that we've done that, that you can find out on the website and various articles. I have a clear top four for me. And that is Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey, Cooper Cup, and Justin Jefferson. And I believe that those top four are a step above the rest of them, which is not to say that this is definitely going to be how it plays out, but I, I definitely want one of those top four. And if I don't pick in the top four, I don't want to pick like five, six, or seven. Five could be good because you could get one of those top four to fall to you. But if those top four go as as I think that they should, then picking five through like eight, nine, it's kind of all the same. So I'd rather pick closer to the back so I can get two of those guys. And in terms of the first round as an overall, there are 11 guys that I want in that first round, which means I don't want to pick 12. And there's specifically 11 guys. After those top four, I want one of Austin Eckler, Dalvin Cook, Derek Henry, Joe Mixon, Najee Harris, Jamar Chase, Stephon Diggs. So those are your, those are your 11 guys that I think are really solid first round picks. I'd be very happy if I had one of those guys. If I pick 12 and those guys are top 11, I can't get them. So that's kind of how I view the first round right now. It's kind of one through four. It's five through 11. And then it's, damn, I've got 12. Yeah, I, I think the name you missed out, you left out there was going to be the Devontae Adams one. That's you're kind of putting at the back end of that kind of tier. Just given the question marks, how he's going to transition into the Las Vegas Raiders offense, correct? Exactly. Devontae Adams for me is probably who I would take at the at the, uh, at one, the 12. Two turns. If I pick 12, I would take Devontae Adams and then probably a running back. But I don't feel I don't feel so much better about Adams than I do about any of the receivers going behind him. So for no. me, it's like Devontae Adams. Tyreek Hill, CeeDee Lamb, Mike Evans, Debo Samuel, and you can even possibly throw Keenan Allen, T. Higgins, and Michael Pittman into that mix. I'm perfectly fine with any of those guys. I I don't want to be the one who has to take him at the early second round. I want to take him at the back of the second round. Uh, Instead, I want two better players, but if I pick 12 and the first 11 go exactly as I would take them, I can't get them. And that's kind of the tricky part about how I view snake drafts right now. I mean, let's let's play a little scenario here. Let's say you're on the 12th, right? And you have... 
all the guys you talk about, your one through 11s, right now, this is the worst case scenario. You're picking on the 12 and your top 11 guys all went because the league is very smart at this point, right? Is there a case where you say, okay, instead of taking Devontae Adams, where you take the positional advantage and grab someone like a Travis Kelsey, and then at running back, are you looking more like a DeAndre Swift? Or at this point, do you take the jump on Alvin Kamara, who's very likely going to be starting pushed back up close towards that one-two turn? Because it seems very unlikely he's probably going to get suspended for the 2020 season, kind of based off his own, own court trial being delayed again and seeing what's going on with Deshaun Watson. So there is a case to make where, look, you don't even go Devontae Adams. You actually take Travis Kelsey. I think that's probably the path that you should go. Thinking about it more, Devontae Adams is certainly a safe bet. I don't see any scenario where he's not a wide receiver one, but I don't see that guy as going to be top three, top four anymore. He's probably he's probably properly priced. And if I'm taking Devontae Adams, I don't necessarily know if I'm getting a better receiver than what the guy who picked at six or picked at four or picked at three is getting. I mean, he has a better player in his first round than I do. And we have the same second round guy. I don't love that. So how do you try and... and tip the scales in your favor, you completely pivot to another direction. You, you take Travis Kelsey and say, okay, I'm going to gamble that Travis Kelsey at age 33. He's still got it. He is still this elite tight end one difference maker. Without Tyree Kill, he can get a close to a 30% target share. He can put up uh, 20 fantasy points per game and be a wide receiver one in the tight end position. And then, then I've got an advantage. And then if I take a running back, I'm okay with taking a guy who may not be as good because the reality is – after Jonathan Taylor, they kind of all got question marks. So I, I don't hate if I if you pair Kelsey with one of Swift, Kamara, Barkley, or Fournette. Uh, any one of those four guys in that spot, I'm perfectly fine with. And that's probably the direction I would go. If I didn't take Kelsey, I would probably take probably consider taking two of those running backs and mm-hmm. just hope that I get it really right. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's interesting when we talk about like Travis Kelsey there. Because if you did, if let's say for an example, you don't take Travis Kelsey, your best tight end option is likely going to be in the Darren Waller, George Kittle, Dalton Schultz range. Because just based off ADP, and for example here, we're using Fantasy Pros ADP. We're kind of looking at their data set here. way it's going right now, Mark Andrews is going as the as the number 21 overall player. Kyle Pitts as number 33. So when it comes back to you at the back end of that third round, Andrews and Pitts at that point would already be gone. So how far is that step down from a Travis Kelsey to that Schultz, Goddard, and Kittle range, which for me personally, I have Dalton Schultz ranked above those other two. I think you do bring up a very interesting point about the the first round. To me, this is a different year compared to others because the running back position doesn't have as much Certainly. safety, I think is the way to put it. You've got Jonathan Taylor, but it's like you said, after that, what are we looking at? We're looking at a Chris McCaffrey who struggled to stay healthy. We're looking at a Derrick Henry, so we got to wonder, okay, is that foot injury, how much has that played into him? Like, have we seen the best of King Henry? You look at Austin Eckler, okay, undersized running back with a history of hamstring injuries. Let's get to Dalvin Cook, another 20-something-year-old running back coming on the end of his contracts and also kind of getting up there in age, who also struggles with injuries. Like, there's, there's no longer that safety net of, like, three to four running backs where you're taking those first four or five picks like, like I said, it's it's Jonathan Taylor, and that's pretty much it. Although I think the upside of these running backs, and I think you should draft them this way. It's like, assume everyone at some point likely is going to miss a game and get hurt, but so pick the highest upside of the player at that position. Like Christian McCaffrey, if he's healthy, RB1. Like it's, it's going to have a hard time for Jonathan Taylor to keep up with him, especially in a PPR format. And that's why I'm with you. Like I do agree where I think it goes, Jonathan Taylor, Christian McCaffrey. And then for me, I'm with you the same thing here. We go lockstep in Cooper Cup and then Justin Jefferson. Um, 
although the reports of Jamar Chase playing out of the slot more in Cincinnati has me very intrigued and give me tingles in all the right places. Um, but I am, like I said, I'm with you on those ones. And like I said, it comes with a bunch of question marks. And that really does kind of sit at the second round where I think you see some very good values right now all sitting there on the board. I, I, Alvin Kamara right now, like I said, is still a screaming value right now. Um, then there's a couple question marks. Um, I mean, what, how are you feeling right now about, I think, Tyreek Hill? Because that's a very contentious second round pick right now. I think people are either all in on Tyreek Hill and Tua combination. Or I feel like some people are all out, and at that point, we'd just rather take the cheaper option. And Jalen Waddle, who's going quite a bit later as the overall 37 in ADP compared to Tyreek Hill as the 16th player off the board in ADP. I don't think that a whole like vertical nonsense, I, I, I'm throwing out the window, because look, Tyreek Hill separates and stretches the field horizontally as much as he ever did vertically. So I think it's going to work out just fine there. But when you come into the second round, for you, is it very much more of, it is dependent on what you did in the first round, or are you willing to take some risk on some guys like a Tyree kill, even if you started with a wide receiver earlier on with like a Cooper Cup or a Jamar Chase at the coming back into like the back end of the second? I'm I'm curious to see what happens when I do some mocks where I kind of pick it in the middle. Because right now, typically whenever we do a mock, I end up taking like, Is that your preference? Is to kind of be in that middle range? No, it's not actually. I, I want to pick on the top because I want to get one of those okay. top four guys. But I, so I haven't really been in a spot in any mock really where Tyreek Hill was my top player because since I have Leonard Fournette ranked so high, I end up always taking him in the second round. That's and fair. then when I pick when I pick it toward the back end of the second round, well, well he, he's either he's never there or Tyreek's never there, and it's not an issue. But but I have Tyreek Hill ranked as my wide receiver six, and I, and I and I that's a kind of a confident wide receiver six. I might swap him with CeeDee Lamb, I'm not sure. But either way, my rankings are at least logically consistent in that I have Jalen Waddle down at wide receiver twenty. So I, I, I'm, t- I'm telling anyone listening to me out there, and I could be wrong, but this is what I think. I think this is a wide receiver one, wide receiver two situation, not a 1A, 1B. I think Tyreek is the one and Waddle's the two. I think Waddle's a this very This is not good like player. what we have in Cincinnati. Correct. Where I, yes, exactly. Cincinnati, I do think it's it's 1A, 1B. And again, I, I agree. Jamar Chase is the wide receiver three. And he's that and he's that damn good. But I, I'm still also taking T. Higgins in the top 12 because I think Joe Burrow can support those two. I'm not sure if Tua can. I think that it's in this range of outcomes to support both of them as wide receiver ones. But we have not seen anything from Tua yet suggest that he's capable of that. And if there if there's going to be a wide receiver one and a wide receiver two, I believe it's going to be the guy that they traded for and gave a massive contract to and who's been a wide receiver one for the for the past five years. So I, I'm I'm more on the on the on the lines of I think Tyreek Hill is going to be just fine. Does he have that wide receiver one overall ceiling like he did with Mahomes? Probably not. But it's kind of similar to Devontae Adams in that both of their ceilings might be lowered, but Tyreek's price dropped more. Mm-hmm. And I view them similarly, so I'm fine with taking Tyreek, especially like I know we're now we're veering way off, but like in an auction, I expect Tyreek to be four to five dollars cheaper than Devontae Adams, and that's something that I was I'm absolutely going to be pouncing on. If yeah. I get the opportunity. I mean, honestly, like we very much stuck to what we're talking about right here. Like in the last mock draft that we did here as a company it was myself. It was you. Ben Rob was part of this. And so was Ian. You can find him over at NFL Film Study um, on Twitter. Like you took Leonard Fournette at the 205. That very much matches what you talk about. I grabbed Tyreek Hill at the 211 and we go all the way down to the 505 is when Jalen Waddle went. So it very much matches exactly what we're talking about here. It was put in practice in that draft. And I think it's very interesting. Kind of we see like. The more mock drafts you do, you will see some odd picks here and there. But a lot of times we're finding a lot of these guys kind of following ADP and you end up kind of getting into a trend of if I'm picking in the the first four picks, I'm looking to have my team set up in a certain way. You know the players you're targeting 
at each one of those positions. And I think that's why I asked you, was like, okay, where are you kind of like drafting from? Because you always kind of figure, okay, not just what players do I like in this range early on, but overall with my team, like where do I feel like I'm getting the best value overall? Like I think for me earlier on right now, I want to be in that top five because I think someone like said of that Jefferson Chase does fall. And I'm seeing them fall, honestly, all the way into like the 108 range because more and more often in a lot of, uh, in a lot of leagues, Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, and Najee Harris are all going ahead of either one of Chase or Cooper or, or uh, Justin Jefferson because guys want their running backs. But like we talked about, I don't think there's as much stability with them anymore. I do want to be earlier on. Um, or I, I don't mind like like a 10th overall pick. I don't hate it, but I think there's good value. You can put together a decent team there. I'm with you. Like I prefer to be earlier on this year. I just kind of like the way the draft falls with some values. Um, like when you're kind of going through, like let's say when you're getting through your first five rounds, do you have an overall team build? You like to have like a certain amount of players, each position, or you very much kind of go with the flow, the way things are right now. I certainly want to get out of the first five rounds with at least one running back. I'm I was okay saying, let's, let's at least do the for right now just in a one QB format because that yeah. would obviously change if we talk about Superflex. I'm okay with it only being one running back, especially because most of my leagues are deeper where we're starting three receivers, two running backs, and two flexes. If, yeah. if, you're, in a, if you're in a standard type, matter. Yeah. If you're in a standard type league where we are starting two or just a typical 2-2-1 two, two, where, where there are only five running backs or receivers being started. Like a standard a def- ESPN league. Exactly. It's very difficult for you to not take a running back in those first three rounds because like if if I end up having to stumble into a zero RB draft, which I which I don't want to, but if it ends up working out mm-hmm. that way, I can get away with it because I can start five receivers and then I can even pivot to a tight end or quarterback. I can I can get away with not taking my, my first running back till the seventh round and I'm not drafting bench players over starters. The problem is if you if you try to go zero RB in a standard ESPN or Yahoo league, you find yourself in a situation where you're either reaching for tight ends or quarterbacks. And or, or or you're taking bench receivers over starting running backs, and that just doesn't make any sense because you you're you're just losing out value compared to everybody else. And when you have shallow rosters, you need to maximize your value even more. So what I found is, as much as I would love to take Jefferson and Chase and and and, uh, and Cup early, and it, when I get in the second round, if I'm down there at toward the top, and those top seven or eight receivers are off, or sorry, those top. Um, however many running backs are off the board. Uh, and, and we're looking so at Javante Taylor, Williams. McCaffrey, Eckler, Henry, Harris, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon. So we're looking like top eight running backs. No, keep going. We're going the second round now. Fournette's gone, Swift's so, gone, Najee's yeah, gone, Kamara's gone. So we got gone. DeAndre Swift, Aaron Jones, Leonard Fournette, Alvin Kamara. Like that, we're at 12 right here. Basically, when we're looking at, let's say the top running backs on the board at this point are pretty much Javante Williams, Nick Chubb, James Conner, and Ezekiel Elliott. So these okay. are your top running backs that are on the board. When now we're, we're pushing toward the 2-3 turn. I don't want to take either of them. I cannot justify taking those guys over these super talented high upside receivers. So now mm-hmm. I've taken two more receivers. Then we get into that 4-5 turn. And that's prime area where you and I want to take Cortland Sutton and Allen Robinson and those type of guys. And even if those guys go, there are still other wide receivers like DJ Moore, like Terry McLaurin, and for me, DK Metcalf even. Drake London, those- Brandon Cooks. Yeah, and that we're starting to get to the point where, where where those guys, Cooks, Juju, Mike Thomas, Hollywood, Mooney, yeah. Amon Ra, Bateman, all those guys are kind of going in the in the in the fifth round. So if I want one of those, I gotta take one of them there. And I want to take them over over now we're looking at even more suspect running back. So you're essentially out of phase with the rest of your draft. Per, out of phase might be the best possible descriptor of what I'm talking about and putting it into a 
a very singular term that describes it. It's now I want to take receivers over running backs, but at some point I have no choice. I have to take a running back and it's, it's, it's going to overall reduce what I feel is the value of my team because I've done it at the wrong time. Because the gap between receiver and running back, I think, widens uh, for the, from rounds like two through seven or eight, and then eventually it'll shrink. But at that point, it's too late. Now, now, we're, looking at, now we're looking at bench guys. I, I need starters. So where is that gap the smallest? It's in the first round, mm-hmm. which is why I, I find I like my teams better when I can get that running back early. And then at the very least, I know that if I throw in that a Melvin Gordon or a Chase Evans or even like a Kareem Hunt as my RB2, I can get away with that. But I can't be having one of those guys be my RB1. Yeah. So, it, so it's like knowing, knowing who's typically available in the later rounds has a significant impact on what you need to do early to set up yourself for maximum success. You wrote up a point here. You talk about zero RB, saying that's a mistake, right? For you, is that the going into a draft with the locked-in concept of going zero RB? Is that the mistake or just the premise of the philosophy itself? So like, for you, is it more so just trying to force a singular draft strategy more so than just building a zero RB team? For you, is that what more of the mistake lies in? I, I believe it is, is an objective mistake if you go into a draft saying that I'm, I want to create a zero RB team. You should never do that because it was we've, there's been studies done. It is not an optimal build in a vacuum. With that said, drafts all play out differently. I have no idea how any of your drafts are going to play out. And if you find yourself in a situation where everyone's taking running backs and you end up taking value at wide receiver and quarterback and, and tight end, it's okay to go zero RB. It's perfectly fine. And you can win that way. It is a viable strategy. It just should never be the plan. And, and, if, if I can avoid it by taking a, a, a high upside running back like a Christian McCaffrey or an Austin Eckler or, or, or a Dalvin Cook early and possibly passing on a receiver that I love, that's okay with me because I want to create that value and then be able to pound receiver later. But if I end up in a situation where, okay, let's say you, like you said, 108, 109, and now Jamar Chase has fallen. Well, at that point, those running backs, we talked about them, they have question marks. So I take Chase and then I get another receiver because somebody fell and another receiver because somebody fell. And you end up that way where you feel like you have a significant edge at wide receiver, that's fine. No problem with that. You end up going zero RB, it could absolutely work. But if you're out there saying, yeah, you know what? Uh, it's it's the early third round and um, and like Alvin Kamara is still here, but I'm going zero RB. I'm not taking him. Well, mm-hmm. n- now now you're now you're you're forcing something and you're drifting suboptimally. I, I think that brings up an interesting point because if you ever go into a draft with a zero RB focus in mind. You are saying, I have to have the draft fall to me a certain way, right? And if it because if it doesn't, you're screwed. If you're not able to land the Tony Pollard, the AJ Dillon, the Melvin Gordon, the Cordell Patterson later on, this build doesn't work out. So for you, is it really a lot of it comes down to it the just the overall risk of banking on getting specific players in later rounds to make your build viable rather than just kind of letting things fall into your lap to me. Is that one of like the biggest mistakes you kind of see going out there kind of like a flaw, like in this kind of strategy where like if for this to work out right, I have to have players X, Y, and Z all available to me in the certain rounds because at that point, if they don't, your team might have several holes in it that you didn't think would actually happen earlier on. This may shock everyone, but I'm actually better at fantasy football now than I was 10 years ago. And I was better 10 years ago than I was 15 years ago. And the I reason I wish I could is, say the same. <laughs> as you do it more, in theory, you, you, you get better and you learn more. 
I just, I just keep running into the same brick wall. Like, it's just concussions <laughs> build up. Like, screw it, just CTE. Even as recent as, like, the mid-2010s, I was finding myself in a situation in drafts where I liked very few players. So I'm looking at the draft where I'm like, okay, in the third round, I've got to get one of these two guys. And in the mm-hmm. fifth round, I've got to get one of these two guys. And when you do that, and those guys aren't there, you're left like kind of just like holding the ball. Like, like, what do I do? And it's important to have more guys you're willing to take at the various positions to be able to pivot. Because, if, because going back to your point and what you, what you asked me, which is if you're relying on a specific set of players that you need to get to make your build work, that is a very risky proposition. Now, if there are like, let's, let's say, you know, okay, in the, in the seventh round, I want to take one of these seven running backs. That's fine because odds are one of those seven running backs, assuming their ADP is around that area, is going to be there. And you know what? If he's not, then you, you just it is what it is. You just mm-hmm. you got you got burned. It's it's a 99% outcome. You're probably going to get it. But if you're looking at their saying or your draft board and saying, okay, well, I'm not going to take a running back early because I know in the in the in uh, in the sixth round I'm going to get AJ Dillon. It's like saying it's like saying I don't want to take Aaron Jones because I'm going to draft AJ Dillon or I'm not going to draft Javante Williams because I'm going to draft Melvin Gordon. Unless you're willing to reach a round to two rounds early to guarantee that's going to happen, you can't pass up those players and say, okay, I'm going to get player B later on. I mean, we can keep going down the line. Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Tua, Jalen Waddle. Like, there's several instances of this we can kind of look at where, like, it's very hard to say if I'm passing on player X, I'm guaranteeing myself player Y. That's not always how these things work out. Yeah, and especially so in a snake draft. In, in an auction, you can do it a little more because yeah. you, you have more control. You can say, okay, you know what? I'm willing to overpay if I have to to get this player. Put up or shut but up at that point. Yeah, put your money where your mouth is. But in a snake draft, you make one pick, and then you don't pick for however many picks. And if someone yeah. else says, I want that player, that's it. You don't get that player. And if you're planning on saying, you know what? I'm going to get Melvin Gordon in the seventh round, and he's not there, and that was your guy, and now you're left with a bunch of running backs that you don't really like, well – now you're either the Damian Harris, to- Rashad Penny, Devin Singletary, Miles Sanders kind of range. Exactly. And like if you like those guys, great. That's perfectly fine. This, this, the, the specific players aren't as important as the overall philosophy, which is if, if you're forced to take a player that you don't want, then fundamentally you failed somewhere. Because you should never be taking players that you don't want unless the value is just so massive. And then even then, if the value is massive, it's, you want the player now. All of a sudden, you, you could like let's say you're completely down on Damian Harris, but it's the eleventh round, he's still there. Well, okay, at that point, now I want that player because 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 there's no risk anymore. Yeah. So it comes down to at every pick, you should want the player you're taking, or at the very least, you should be okay with the player you're taking. And if and if you make the wrong decisions up top, uh, banking on certain things happening later that you can't control, then you may find yourself in a situation where you need to do something that you don't want to do, and then you come out of your draft and you don't like your team, and no one wants to not like their team. Yeah, I mean, in the last mock draft that we did all together, like. The perfect example of that is the team that I drafted out of the 10th spot. I love this team because I got every single player that I wanted. That's normally impossible in fantasy. What happened for me? And I had, if you go into draft, you have like a couple players in mind. For me, it was coming up back into the t- of the first round. I was wanting one of Stefan Diggs or CD Lamb. I was able to draft. I drafted Stefan Diggs. Give me the Josh Allen's number one. Luckily enough, CD Lamb fell to me in round two. We come back in round three. I'm looking at James Conner or Cam Akers. I select Conner. Cam Akers is there in the fourth. And that trend continued on. Jerry Judy, Michael Thomas, Rashad Penny, uh, Ramondre Stevenson, Sky Moore, Kadarius Toney. So it's one of those things where, like, be willing to take the guy you want, but know that I always have a fallback plan in mind. Luckily enough, sometimes you might end up with a team like this. All of a sudden, boom, hey, you end up with every single of the picks that you like. 
I think the one position we haven't really touched on so far are the the onesies. You know, your your tight ends and your quarterbacks. The only ones you're getting one of on your rosters. And I think these are really where kind of drafts really change quite a bit because you never really know how people are going to be super aggressive on quarterbacks. Are they going to wait to be late round? Um, where do the tight ends kind of go? So what's your overall approach when it comes to quarterback this year? Are you kind of going early? Are you kind of going just for your mid-round values, like a, a certain positional tier and also a tight end? Like, are you trying to guarantee to yourself one of the top five, like even one of the top three, or at that point, just waiting until later on? Like, what's your kind of overall strategy kind of going into it this year? We'll start with quarterback. I really was hoping to be able to draft Lamar Jackson in a lot of places, but the reality is he goes in that fifth round area and typically yeah. there, there are just too many receivers that I need that I need to take in that area that I, I just can't justify taking the quarterback as much as I do love Lamar. That's the Drake London, Waddle, Marquise Brown, Jerry Judy, uh, Judas Smith-Schuster, Adam Thielen, who you, I know you're obviously all in on. I mean, Michael Thomas, Rashad Bateman, that kind of group of range. Exactly. And, and I'm glad you brought up Thielen because I typically can get him around six, and that's where Jalen Hurts goes. And I like Jalen yeah. Hurts, but in round six, that's where I take Adam Thielen. And in round seven, mm-hmm. well, that's where I take those running backs we just talked about that I'm typically yeah. – I in round seven. So the question is, well, how do I ever take the quarterback? And and I look at it, I go, okay, well, if I pass up on these running backs, I'm getting guys I don't I don't like. And a quarterback, well, if I wait, I can still get Trey Lance. I can still get Russell Wilson. Mm-hmm. I can still get Kirk Cousins if I have to. And what if I even drafted Justin Jefferson? I want to pair Kirk Cousins with him. There's just there's so many quarterbacks that I like to go in the double digit rounds. I have a hard time not waiting on the position. Yeah, um, I'm the same way. Like I said, we just look at the ADP right now. I mean Obviously, some of these are going to fluctuate a little bit right now, but I mean, Russell Wilson, overall, no one is 77. Matthew Stafford at uh, 88 as a QB 12. Trey Lance at 99. I mean, Derek Carr at 107. Uh, to me, there's so much value. I know just for us, as in our draft. Look, Russell Wilson at the 11-10. Trey Lance at the 12-6. Stafford at the 12-11. I mean, Kirk Cousins at the 14-9. Uh, it's, those are plenty of examples. Of, like, if you want to go late-round quarterback, I think you can absolutely do it. We say that every single year. Late round quarterback to me is the more optimal strategy so I can attack players earlier on unless someone massively solves like you talk about like Lamar Jackson. If Lamar Jackson's there in the seventh, yeah, I'll, I'll take Lamar Jackson. He's just even not going to be there. Uh, yeah, even in the sixth, that's fine because that's putting him right there. Look, okay, would I have Lamar Jackson or look, J.K. Dobbins? At that point, I probably got my two running backs. Give me Lamar Jackson at that point. Um yeah, like I said, it's more than likely someone is going to like these other quarterbacks more than I do, so I'm probably not going to get too many shares of them outside of maybe a Jalen Hurts. I'm perfectly fine getting there. And if I'm later on in a draft, look, I'll double stack with Trey Lance and Deshaun Watson. Give me the upside of those two. Watson, when he's on the field, is incredible. Trey Lance is the upside play for the guy that could be the smash um, to break out his, his value this year. And if one of those guys isn't playing... You got the other one as an option, so I like I kind of like doing that. For me, when it comes to tight end, I guess I'll kind of run off on that one. I'm wanting to go tight end early. I think there's a decent advantage there right now. I just don't want to mess around later on. If I can get Kelsey, cool. If I can get Andrews, awesome. Um, I'm I'm in on Pitts. Also, I don't have an issue there, but I think I prioritize Kelsey or Andrews over Pitts right now. Um, and then for me, I'm looking in the the fifth round. I'm very much targeting Dalton Schultz. I actually have Schultz personally, like I talked about earlier in this in this podcast, over Kittle and over Darren Waller. You're looking at a guy who can see over 110 targets. We know how important targets are to the NF to uh, to these tight ends. I believe we talked about it during the uh, tight end podcast. I wish I could find where I found that stuff earlier on to give full credit for it. But like I said, it's every tight end going back to 2003 that has finished inside the top five in PPR scoring had one of two things. 
They had 90 targets or double-digit touchdowns. Dalton Schultz absolutely falls on that radar, but for me, like once you get past some of these top guys, it's hard to find the other ones who are going to have the same level of upside. So for me personally, I will be going a little earlier on tight end rather than waiting on guys like a Cole Komet and Albert O, even like a David Njoku later on. And that's my personal philosophy. How are you kind of handling the tight end position, kind of wrapping up our position, like our individual roster spots? If I pick at that one-two turn, um, I'm probably going to be eyeing up Kelsey at some point and hopefully hopefully early second. If not, I pick a 12. He's probably one of my picks. If I don't take Kelsey, then I'm looking to see if any of the other top five tight ends fall a little bit. I know in our recent mock, Darren Waller fell to me in the fifth round. I mean, if he's there in the fifth round for me, I'm going to take that every time. I know you're higher on I Dalton I felt the same Schultz. way about Dalton Schultz. Yeah. Exactly. For me, And I feel like I once there, one of those goes, like the other one's going to go really far, really quickly. Yeah, I was going to say, by the same token, if, if Schultz ends up falling to me in the sixth, I'll take him there or possibly even in the late fifth if I pick on the back end. Uh, but like you said, typically kind of goes right after. So I'm fine with taking a tight end in the in the fourth or fifth round. Basically, I'm not taking a tight end in the third round because I don't I don't want to reach for one. I know that's where Pitts goes. That's where you got to take Kyle Pitts. Yep. I'm not taking him that high. I'm hoping that he makes it to me if I. There's just other the players I like more. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. There's just there's just other players I like more, and I'm okay. What I found that I've been getting a lot of I'm getting a lot of Zach Ertz in around mm-hmm. the eighth or ninth round in our mocks. He seems to always mm-hmm. go to me, and I'm I'm good with Ertz in the eighth or ninth, and if not then I'm just going to take a shot on Alberto or Cole Komet in the 10th or 11th. And that's pretty much how I'm looking at tight end. Uh, worst case, I will just stream. And that's always another option too. You can always stream, play the matchups. Maybe this year we have someone who is like what Arizona was back in 2020, where they gave up what was it, 13 touchdowns to tight ends over that season, where you were always streaming a player against them. You could do the same thing if we find up having one of the situations this year, as long as there is the available talent who can take advantage of, of that increased opportunity. That's the biggest thing. If someone isn't talented enough to take advantage of it, it doesn't matter. That's why I think vacate tar- vacated targets get such a, a weird rap at times. Because look, you've got to be talented enough to take advantage of those situations. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think those are some good general thoughts so far, kind of how we're attacking these drafts. Look, all of our philosophies, all the players we're targeting, this changes daily, sometimes hourly, depending on the news that comes out. It's like, you know, for me, we, me and you, we're adjusting our rankings, you know, hourly at times so when we're trying to get done doing a little bit of research oh hey i'm going to flip this play right now so like just like as our our rankings evolve so our draft philosophy and this is something we're going to touch on all the way through draft season up until week one we finally get around and kind of talk about some guys that we're kind of targeting where we're kind of seeing the value as when drafts kind of get going more and more adp at that point will change too and some of these outlier drafts will stop impacting the adp as much as we're seeing right now but that's going to wrap up things for today's episode of the Premier Fantasy Football Podcast, powered by Pro Football Network. If you enjoyed today's episode of the show, please feel free to leave a rating and a review on your favorite podcast platform. It does greatly uh, help the show grow, and as a company, we very much appreciate it. Also, continue to stay up to date with all the latest news around the league by heading over to profootballnetwork.com, where you can find analysis covering not only fantasy football, but breaking news, coverage around the league, including right now PFN's uh, training camp tour, college football, betting, and also the NFL mock draft. And speaking of the mock draft, it is never too early to get started on your mock draft for the 2023 season, which you can find over at ProFootballNetwork.com forward slash mock draft. You can follow Jason over on Twitter at JasonCats13 and myself, Tommy Garrett, PFN. Speaking for Jason, I'm Tommy, and we will see you guys on the next episode of the show.